This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. It is my great privilege to introduce the 45th Speaker of the House, my dear friend, Mike Johnson, the Speaker. On October 25th, after what seemed like never-ending internecine chaos within the Republican caucus, Mike Johnson emerged as the 56th Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. At age 51, he is one of the youngest and, by some measures, least experienced House speakers ever. But that does not mean that Johnson doesn't have a mission. In fact, he does. And he has the motivation to see that mission through. Here he is speaking in front of Congress prior to being sworn in as speaker. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I believe that Scripture, the Bible, is very clear. That, that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. And, and I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. This is my belief. I believe that each one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the extraordinary people of this great country, and they deserve it, and to ensure that our republic remains standing as the great beacon of light and hope and freedom in a world that desperately needs it. Johnson was first elected to the House by Louisiana's 4th Congressional District in 2016, just seven years ago. As such, his career prior to becoming a congressman wasn't well known outside of Louisiana. His Christian faith has been central to both his personal and professional life, as evidenced by his work for the Alliance Defending Freedom, a conservative Christian legal advocacy group that supports things like criminalizing homosexuality— something Johnson directly advocated for when he wrote an amicus brief to the Supreme Court in its historic case, Lawrence v. Texas, that eventually overturned state laws banning same-sex intimacy. Johnson has frequently described his legal work as defending the Christian faith. Here he is in 2016 when he was interviewed by Alex T. Ray on his broadcast, Disciples Voice of Hope. Because I remember I've been out in the courts for the last couple of decades fighting to defend what's left of that, and I'm watching our freedom being eroded. I'm watching these foundations, religion, morality, the rule of law, virtue. I'm seeing those things being willed away, and it deeply concerns me. So what are we supposed to do about that? Well, we, we go into those arenas, and we shine the light. We, we're supposed to stand for truth and to advance those ideals. And whatever the, the specific issues are, there is truth to be brought to bear of those things. And we need people who are, who are strong enough in their faith to stand up and say, no, this is right. That same year, 2016, Johnson told the Louisiana Baptist message, quote, Some people are called to pastoral ministry. I was called to legal ministry. And I've been out on the front lines of the culture war defending religious freedom, the sanctity of human life and biblical values, including the defense of traditional marriage and other ideals that have been under assault. Then he went on to say, I've been in and around the Louisiana legislature and other state legislatures and the Congress for many years. I've drafted legislation and defended it in the courts. I have been there to speak with legislatures and to testify, end quote. And as he told Alex T. Ray, Johnson believes his Christian legal advocacy has come at a price. You step up these days to bring your faith into the public square, to, to shine your light, to be the salt light, as our Savior told us we're supposed to do, then you get, you get marginalized. You get, um, 
you get tarred and feathered in some arenas. If you bring it into a legislative arena, what do you talk? You can't bring faith to bear on this. Wow. Well, now wait a minute. The founder said religion and morality, the indispensable supports of the whole republic. Now you're telling me I can't even bring it in as one argument in the public uh, policy arena? That's crazy. It's anathema. It's it's opposite. It's the opposite of how we were founded as a country. And I'm telling you, we're losing those foundations that are terrible. Now. As House Speaker, Mike Johnson is in the most powerful political position of his life so far. He will control what kind of legislation reaches the House floor, for example. And that fact has many who have followed his career and professional work wondering, is Mike Johnson, gavel in hand, exactly what those who seek not just to protect faith from government, but to shape government into a Christian institution, is he what they've been hoping for for decades? Well, let's start with someone today who's been reporting on Johnson for more than 15 years. Mark Ballard joins us. He's the Washington correspondent for the Times-Picayune and The Advocate. that has papers in Baton Rouge, Lafayette, and Shreveport, Louisiana, and he joins us today from Washington. Mark, welcome to On Point. Thank you for having me. So first of all, tell us a little bit about um, Johnson's sort of early life and where he grew up. What's significant about the place and the people he was surrounded by that will help us understand him better now? Well, he grew up in Shreveport, which is in the northwestern section of the state. His father was, uh, when he was a teenager, was uh, burned severely. And uh, he lived, but uh, he was burned severely. And Johnson has said that this kind of helped mold and form his uh, faith, which is uh, basically a, a Southern Baptist, uh, He's and he's following the tenets of the Southern Baptist Convention in all of this uh, that you've just played on the air. That's uh, not outrageous. That's not him kind of coming up with it. It is straight in line with the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me a little bit more about Shreveport, right? Because... Um... And correct me if I'm wrong, but to my understanding of faith and uh, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, that that's extremely common. It's like in the air in a place like Shreveport. It, it is. An, it's kind of standard uh, conversation yes. where you go. It is a, a Louisiana is kind of separated really by the I-10 and south of the I-10 is a Roman Catholic predominance. North of the I-10 is Southern Baptist predominance. And so in a place like Shreveport, which sits in a corner next to Texas and right underneath uh, Arkansas, is very much part of the Bible Belt. And those kind of conversations happen all the time. They have lots of churches. It's a, a his his district is sixty two percent white. Most of those people are of the uh, conservative Protestant faiths, and uh, they also his district voted for uh, Donald Trump twice uh, mm-hmm. in in sixties you know, uh, the early, the lower 60s, you know, and so he's in a uh, district that pretty much uh, believes the way that he believes. Yeah. So we're going to talk about um, uh, people and organizations he's been connected with more a little bit later this hour, but I'd love to hear from you, Mark, about what kind of, um, he was in a state legislature for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, he he was, but he had had a, a significant career as a lawyer really since law school and dealing with uh, uh, James Dobson type of uh, organizations uh, and, and doing and doing the kind of work and briefings that uh, that you've mentioned uh, thus far. When he went into the legislature, it was primarily uh, because 
the previous legislator became a judge and he was elected, you know, pretty much overwhelmingly in that and uh, then started pursuing almost from the get go uh, 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 bills that were uh, that were. Uh, uh, again, same-sex marriage, protecting pastors, uh, and anti-abortion type of uh, legislation. Mm. So he calls himself a uh, full-spectrum conservative. Did that um, that way of looking at the world have an impact on things outside, uh, let's say, cultural issues, as you just outlined? Well. I- I, in Louisiana, you have to understand that the the cities are blue, but outside the cities is very very red. There, you know, they are Donald Trump supporting in in the eighty percentile range, and so the conservative lifestyle is, I guess, is 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 permissive. It's all over. It's wherever mm-hmm. you see it, and so so there is that the feeling of. Uh, you know, the uh, faith being kind of the, the cornerstone of the way people live there. Yeah. Okay. So um, tell us then a little bit more about how you see sort of what he um, tried to work for while a member of the Louisiana state legislature uh, in comparison to uh, what he's been doing for the past seven years prior to becoming Speaker of the House, what he's been doing in Washington. Because as I mentioned before, I think hardly anyone outside of Louisiana was paying much attention to Mike Johnson. Yeah, and I think that he was in the legislature for only two years. And then when John Fleming, who was a representative, ran for the U.S. Senate, again, to the the seat that John Kennedy now holds, uh, uh, then Fleming basically tapped Mike Johnson and said, "Okay, I want you to be the new U.S. representative. And so he was in the state legislature for only two years. And Uh. what was more known about Mike Johnson prior to that uh, was his legal career. And he worked with Kyle Duncan, who's now on the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, they were friends at LSU Law School and uh, and remain so to this day. And, and Duncan was kind of at the forefront of this sort of religious uh, freedom type of uh, legislation. And by Mike Johnson, where I first ran into him was he was uh, – defending Louisiana's uh, same-sex marriage ban, and uh, which he uh, was involved with uh, helping to write. Uh, Steve Scalise, uh, the uh, majority leader of the House, actually sponsored the bill, but Johnson was very much involved with, with the bill and in defending the bill. And then he also took a, a went after uh, Louisiana abortion clinics, not so much in lawsuits, but within uh, uh, regulatory actions within the states. And and he, he was also involved in, in a whole lot of, uh, of anti-abortion type of litigation, such as requiring uh, physicians that perform the procedure to have admitting privileges within a couple of miles of the clinic. And so he was much better known for those legal fights that he had in Louisiana than what he did in the legislature was very short. And then when he came to the U.S. Congress, he has pursued the same type of bills in Congress that he now says he's not going to. In fact, 
when you ask him or when asked about it, I don't think he'll ever say the word that he is a Christian national, but he has been associated with Christian national causes and groups. Okay. Well, Mark Ballard, Washington correspondent for the Times-Picayune out of New Orleans and the Advocate, which is out of Baton Rouge, Lafayette and Shreveport, Louisiana. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk more about exactly what Christian nationalism is and how close uh, Mike Johnson's beliefs and political and legal practice have brought him to that. So that's when we come back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're talking about newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson, who he is, what he believes and how those beliefs beliefs might influence his speakership, specifically when it comes to his profound sense of faith as a Christian and whether or not it's bringing Christian nationalism to the House Speakership. I'm joined today now by Philip Gorski. He's a professor of sociology and religious studies at Yale University and co-author of The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism and the Threat to Democracy. Professor Gorski, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Megna. Also with us today is Anne Nelson. She's a research scholar at Columbia School of International and Public Affairs and author of Shadow Network, Media, Money and the Secret Hub of the Radical Right. Anne Nelson, welcome to you. Thanks for having me. First and foremost, I'd like to get a clear definition of what Christian nationalism is, because I frequently hear kind of two almost opposing thoughts uh, juxtaposed against each other. That uh, is it a defense of Christianity against an overbearing government, or is it um, a the uh, the attempt to shape the government, the United States government, uh, its laws and its policies? Uh, with, uh, as defined with Christian values. And I think the distinction is important. So, Professor Gorski, help us understand that. Which one is it? <laughs> sure. Well, let me first say what Christian nationalism isn't. It's not conservative evangelicalism. It's not right-wing populism. It's not white nationalism. It overlaps with all of those things, but it's not with any of them. I would define white Christian nationalism as a tribal identity that 
says who uh, is at the top of the social hierarchy, who the real Americans are, and centers that group of conservative white native-born Christians in the story of what, uh, who made America uh, and what, what America is. And it has both uh, offensive and defensive postures. I think the defensive posture is to some degree baked in uh, because of the centrality of persecution in the history of Christianity, and in particular the history of the sectarian forms of Protestant Christianity that are at the center of the Christian nationalist movement in the United States. And that defensive posture, I think, has been redoubled by demographic change within the United States, which means that white Protestants are now less than half of the population when they were mm -hmm. 98, 99 percent of the population at the time of the American Revolution. Okay. So then, and Anne, I'm going to come to you with a with similar question in just a second, but so that's the defensive posture, as, as you put it. Then the sort of offensive posture would be what? Because, you know, many, many groups in this country uh, have, uh, they, they see themselves as central to the American story. They feel somewhat uh, victimized at different points in time. That doesn't necessarily distinguish this group, I would say. My question is, do they seek to change how government functions uh, in defense of their, you know, self-proclaimed self -proclaimed centrality to the American story? Absolutely. Some people online have taken to calling Mike Johnson, MAGA Mike. I would think a more appropriate description would be MACA Mike, in the sense of since his view of how to make America great again is making an American America Christian again. And he's quite clear about what that means. He said that um, holding a particular set of conservative Christian views should be a litmus test for candidates in the Republican Party. He has said that the separation of church and state is a one-way street. It's supposed to keep government out of the churches, but open the door for church involvement uh, in government. And he has a very clear view about what Christian morality is, and he hopes to translate those moral views into national legislation. Mm. So the defensive posture um, is certainly... Uh, in his case, combined with an offensive strategy. Mm. And just because uh, I think it's worth saying, given how diverse the spectrum of beliefs within Christianity itself is, I would say Mike Johnson has a very clear view of uh, his perception of Christian morality as informed by his uh, conservative Southern Baptist uh, upbringing. But Ann Nelson, I want you to listen to this for a quick second, because uh, not that long ago, uh, in the New York Times, uh, columnist Thomas Edsel wrote a piece that was entitled The Embodiment of White Christian Nationalism in a Tailored Suit. Uh, in fact, Philip Gorski is quoted in, in that piece, which is how we uh, discovered Professor Gorski. But just yesterday on Fox News, House Speaker Mike Johnson uh, appeared with moderator Shannon Bream, uh, and she asked him about this, and she began by reading Edsel's definition of Christian nationalism uh, from the magazine Christianity Today. It's a belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Is that an accurate description of your view of how the government should function? No, I'm not even sure what the term means. And look, there are entire industries uh, built on 
taking down, tearing down people like me. I understand that comes with the territory, and, and we're not phased by it. But listen, what, what I believe in are the founding principles of the country, individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, human dignity. Those are essential American principles. And so I've been labeled all kinds of stuff, but these people don't know me. All right. That was House Speaker Mike Johnson on Fox News just yesterday. Ann Nelson, you've done years of reporting and research uh, into some of the groups that Mike Johnson has been connected with. So tell me a little bit about, let's start with the Council for National Policy. What is it? Who's in it? And how do their actions or goals, as you see them, help inform whether or not Mike Johnson, our understanding of if Mike Johnson is a Christian nationalist? Well, uh, some four decades ago, there were political strategists and major economic interests, many of them out of the fossil fuel industries, who really wanted to find a new avenue to power when they realized that they were losing momentum politically. And in 1981, they came together and founded the Council for National Policy, riding on the coattails of the Reagan election. Um, And it brought together... Uh, money-making televangelists like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and people from the oil industries in Louisiana, Texas, and Oklahoma, where I'm from. And they developed a very sophisticated political strategy based on a very acute strategist like Ralph Reed, who said, look, there are these unengaged evangelical voters in critical states who don't go and vote. And if we can mobilize them to vote for us based on hot-button social issues, uh, like gender issues, like abortion, um, and and really surround them with our information through our radio stations, our, you know, eventually our websites, et cetera, um, we can tilt the American electorate in our favor. So they've spent some 40 years uh, working on these plans. And as it turns out, uh, the research group documented today revealed that Mike Johnson was a member of the Council for National Policy in their directory in 2011 and 2012. The organizations you mentioned, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, another related group, First Liberty, which has done a bunch of lawsuits in Texas, are run by members of the Council for National Policy who consult and work with major donors like the DeVos family, and they're allied with the Koch industries. Uh to come up with very sophisticated strategies to shape our national life. Okay. So he was on the, you said he was on the directory of the, the CNP? Yes, that was just revealed today. And, what, uh, and what does that, what's the implication of that? Oh, it means that they hold secret meetings two or three times a year. They have their big donors present. They have their strategists present, uh, such as Ralph Reed, Richard Biggery, and so on. They have their media people they have uh, uh, the Salem Radio Network is one of their, their central partners. And they basically put out their objectives and then in these closed rooms figure out how they're going to pursue them. Uh, Ginny Thomas, Mrs. Clarence Thomas, is a leading member. Uh, people who were involved in the January 6th protest, uh, such as Jenny Beth Martin, are leading members. So to place... Mike Johnson, as a member of this organization, is very significant. Okay. Um, Professor Gorski, I'm going to come back to you in just a second. But, Anne, tell me a little bit more about other people um, associated with 
the CNP because uh, it, it'll help us understand, again, this 40, this four decade tra- trajectory that you're talking about uh, and why it seems to be, I don't want to say culminating, but coming to a head with Johnson in the speakership. Um, for example, you've reported um, about CNP President Tony Perkins. Can you remind us who he is and why he's significant? Absolutely. And he also comes out of the Louisiana legislature. Mm. Um, And then James Dobson, who was mentioned earlier uh, and was a founding member of the Council for National Policy, anointed him as the head of something called the Family Research Council, Uh which has a major lobbying arm for right-wing fundamentalists in Washington, also has a media empire. And so if you drive around the South and the Midwest— and you just turn on the car radio, you're going to run into these stations with this very one-sided programming that suggests that it's a sin to vote for a Democrat, basically. (laughs) Mm. Okay. So, uh, Professor Gorski, what do you think about that? Well, uh, Anne is really the great expert in following the money and the organization chart, and I think that really is crucial to understanding that This isn't just uh, somebody with a set of conservative Christian beliefs, but this is somebody at the center of of a larger political movement. I would just make one more connection, which is to a man named David Barton, who runs an organization in Alito, Texas, just outside of Dallas-Fort Worth, called Wall Builders, and has been uh, promoting a mythological version of American history now for decades and with considerable success. Um, And uh, Johnson has said on a number of occasions that he uh, regards Barton as uh, incredibly strong influence in him. Basically, Barton's argument runs something like this. Uh, America was founded as a Christian nation. The founders were Orthodox Christians. This is a key point. The founding documents are based on biblical principles. Um, and um, in order to carry out a sort of a divine admission that it's a mission that has been trusted with, the United States has been blessed with unique power and prosperity. But all of those blessings and all of that prosperity are now uh, in danger, as is the mission itself. And the only way uh, to uh, to hold fast to them is uh, by making America Christian again. So this is really a completely unadulterated Christian nationalism. And so I simply cannot take uh, Johnson's rejection of the label seriously. Um, you know, this is uh, really checks every single box um, on the, the Christian nationalism checklist. Right, because it's hard to find a moment where he's seen the world in any other way, right, than, than what he himself had, has described in that, in that tape that we found. Where, I mean, we, we looked long and hard to find a moment where Mike Johnson clearly said, well, you know, uh, America is a secular nation, and so therefore all faiths should be protected, and um, there isn't room for uh, a particular uh, narrow religious view as informing government policy. We just couldn't find that. Uh, but in fact, there were lots of other things um, that were that that surfaced. I mean, for example, I had talked about earlier how uh, Johnson, in his uh, in his previous legal work before becoming a legislator in Louisiana had um, advocated for uh, a strict uh, 
um, definition of marriage is between a man and a woman uh, in Louisiana, and also how he um, did a lot of legal work trying to um, oppose the uh, the decriminalization, essentially, of homosexuality. I mean, in the past, he's called homosexuality, quote, inherently unnatural and, quote, a dangerous lifestyle. When he was at the Alliance uh, Defense Fund, he collaborated with a now-defunct group called Exodus. And actually, before I continue on, Ann Nelson, do you know of Exodus? Uh, well, I know of it, yes. Okay. I just want to know if you could add more information than I than I, I have about Exodus, but at least, at the very least, I know that Exodus has uh, um, frequently promoted gay conversion therapy. Okay, so here is uh, Johnson speaking in 2008 on the Talking It Over radio show. Our race, the size of our feet, the color of our eyes, these are things we're born with we cannot change. But what these, these adult advocacy groups like the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network are promoting is a type of behavior. Homosexual behavior is something you do. It's not something that you are. And Nelson, do you want to comment on that? Well, yeah, this is very much part of the Council for National Policy orthodoxy. And uh, people should realize that, <clears throat> the, that Tony Perkins and the CNP members played a major role <clears throat> in bringing Donald Trump to office, mm-hmm. organizing... Uh, many, many fundamentalists and partner organizations, such as the National Rifle Association and others, to canvas for him and contributing to his war chest. So one of the rewards, besides their ability to uh, give him a list for federal judge appointments, um, was to allow Tony Perkins to write various social areas of the Republican uh, platform in 2016. And lo and behold, conversion therapy for homosexuals appeared in the Republican platform, and Tony Perkins was given the credit. So Mike Johnson has actually, at the Council for National Policy in 2019, said he was the, quote, bag man for Tony Perkins in the past and credited him with shaping his career. Mm. So let me ask you, uh, and help me understand something better. When you described how the Council for National Policy was first formed, you said it was uh, the uh, evangelical, conservative evangelical leaders with a large media reach, plus uh, oil interests, right? So so were the interests of sort of the, the business side of the CNP uh, in terms of what their values were, did they overlap strongly with the, uh, the the religious side of the CNP, or did they see each other as just uh, as uh, good partners, uh, but if not, if they didn't have exactly the same goals? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, I, I describe Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana as American petrostates. And growing up there, you just see how the Southern Baptist hierarchy and and other leading figures in the state are woven into the oil industry. Uh, So in the founding of the Council for National Policy, you have figures like Nelson Bunker Hunt and others. But you also have the Koch brothers coming into the CNP picture in 2010. Okay. Well, Ann Nelson, stand by, and Professor Philip Gorski, hang on for a moment. When we come back, we're going to talk a lot more about how Christian nationalism has become a much larger force uh, in the Republican Party and what, if anything, Mike Johnson might do now that he's speaker. We'll be back in a moment. This is On Point.
did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're talking about newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson and how his long history as being an advocate for conservative Christian evangelical values, how that might inform his uh, work now as Speaker of the United States House of Representatives and whether or not Christian nationalism is now holding the gavel in the House. I'm joined today by Ann Nelson. She's a research scholar at Columbia School of International and Public Affairs and author of Shadow Network, Media, Money, and the Secret Hub, of the radical right. Philip Gorski joins us as well. He's a professor of sociology and religious studies at Yale University and author, co-author of The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism and the Threat to American Democracy. Now, I, there's something that comes up frequently in discussions about what is Christian nationalism, and that is their view of whether, a Christian nationalist view of whether the United States is a democracy or a republic. So this is from 2016 when Mike Johnson, now House Speaker, but then Representative Mike Johnson, appeared on the Disciples Voice of Hope broadcast with Alex T. Ray. And Johnson said that following the Revolutionary War, he says the country was not set up as a democracy. So we set up this system called a constitutional republic. You know, we don't live in a democracy because a democracy is two wolves and a lamb deciding what's for dinner, okay? It's not just majority rule. It's a constitutional republic. And the founders set that up because they followed the biblical admonition on what a civil society is supposed to look like. So, Professor Gorski, now, the version of democracy, to my ear, that Mark, Mike Johnson is talking about there is sort of almost ancient Greek-era democracy where people, men, gathered in the agora and decided what, you know, what to do and how to rule. Direct democracy in its most fundamental form. That's not what we have in the United States, true. We have a United States constitution. So when he calls the system a constitutional republic, that, in fact, is correct, right? Because the people vote for representatives and senators and indirectly for the president— um, so it's not direct democracy, but those elected officials are expected to abide by the series of laws set out in the Constitution. But the Constitution does not say anywhere in its writing, as far as I can see, that those series of laws are informed by Christian morality, Professor Gorski. No, certainly not. I think Christian nationalism really is a series of half truths um, it is, of course, true that there was influence of Christianity on the Constitution, on the founders, on um, the framing of, of American institutions. But, of course, there were influences from, for example, ancient Greece, Rome, um, and, uh, of course, also 
uh, English, uh, English common law and English institutions as well. What I find particularly concerning in um, Mike Johnson's explanation of what how he understands a uh, constitutional republic or a republic is that it does not imply majority rule. Um, it is certainly true that there are a lot of counter-majoritarian checks that were set up in the United States Constitution. Indeed, I think that has become increasingly a problem um, within the United States that needs to be addressed. Uh, but what he's really doing, in a way, is providing a brief for minority rule by the virtuous. Mm -hmm. I think this is what he really understands by a constitutional republic. And of course, by the virtuous, he means people like him, people who hold religious views like his, because of course, they are the only people who will be able to understand the biblical basis on which the constitutional republic putatively rests. Yes, because he says that exclusively, like very clearly at the end of that cut we just played. The founders set up uh, set up that constitutional republic because they followed the biblical admonition on what a civil society is supposed to look like. But as you just mentioned, Professor Gorski, I mean, that sentence ignores all the other influences that went into the creation of the U.S. Constitution. And I would also argue that, uh, let's say, the founders' version of Christianity would be almost unrecognizable to modern-day Christian evangelical conservatives in this country. Yes, that's absolutely right. I think the key point to make here really is that there was an incredible range of views amongst the founders, religious views. This is something that has been exhaustively studied, and it really ranges from you know, folks who were probably almost closet atheists like Ethan Allen, all the way to um, folks who were probably relatively um, orthodox uh, Christians, even by uh, contemporary uh, understanding. But this, in a way, really sort of undermines the fundamental premise um, of Johnson's argument. Remember this, the statement that he made earlier that you, um, that you, uh, that you played, where he said, well, if you want to understand my political views, all you have to do is open the Bible. Well, you know, I've read the Bible front <laughs> to back many times, and I didn't see anything in there about the IRS, which um, is the first piece of legislation which he introduced, coupling aid, uh, military aid for Israel with, um, with cuts to the IR IRS's enforcement mm -hmm. wing. In fact, there are a whole host of issues about which it says very little, and even the issues which are, I think, closest to his heart, for example, uh, marriage and homosexuality, to my knowledge, there are really only two biblical verses, one in Leviticus, one in Romans, that say anything about this. I mean, uh, this set against the enormous number of things that are said about uh, social justice, uh, charity, hospitality, um, things that uh, he seems to think follow directly from the Bible, uh, but which he pays very little attention to. Mm. Anne Nelson, I'm thinking back to how you know, trying to shine the lights on the various connections here. Um, and just to be clear, does Mike Johnson himself acknowledge uh, the CNP as one of the forces behind the acceleration of his career? Well, he did when he was speaking secretly to the CNP. And in fact, he gave, that was basically his entire speech, thanking 
um, not only these people, but these these organizations that are fundamental. So people should know about Morton Blackwell. He said Morton Blackwell was responsible for his going to Congress in the first place. Morton Blackwell founded the Leadership Institute, which claims to have trained over 230,000 conservative candidates and campaign workers. So uh, this is this is an engine that has been working for over 40 years, and, and the Democrats don't have the equivalent mm. of it. Mm. So, so again, when, when Mike Johnson is speaking to the CNP, he gives them credit for the key points in his career. So it's not just Mike Johnson, right? Because you're talking about uh, the acceleration of the careers of many conservative Christian uh, uh lawmakers, but also the the GOP itself as a party, right? Because from Thomas Edsel's piece, there's some really interesting um, factoids about how much the GOP has changed over this 40-year period that um, right now, the party, people in the party identify themselves as, as a, at a 60% rate of being white and Christian. But the country as a whole is 42% white and Christian. And then... Um, again, there's more. This is from other researchers that found this is from Ryan Burge at Eastern Illinois University, who said that in the 1970s, the GOP was basically mainline Protestants, 46 percent of the party. Uh, and now in the 2000 as of the 2010s, evangelical Protestants, evangelical Protestants were 38 percent of Republicans, Catholics, 25 percent. And those uh, old school mainline Protestants, barely 17 percent. So how do you read that transformation, Anne? Well, you also have to look at the political drivers in this. So in the 1960s and 70s, the Southern Baptist Convention, like other denominations, was very gradually liberalizing. And you had something called the conservative resurgence, which came in and two members of the Council for National Policy led it. And they purged moderates, uh, moderate theologians, moderate pastors, etc., and drove it far, far to the right and weaponized it uh, for political purposes. So then you had another juncture with the CNP's Paul Teller, a congressional aide, who led the purge of Don Boehner from, from Congress because he was too moderate. He worked too much with the Democrats. And Paul Teller was was pushing Ted Cruz as, as a leader in Congress. Now you have this moment where this purge of, of moderate Republicans has gone across the board. And all over the country, you have moderate Republicans who are being actively opposed, uh, sometimes involving what you might call dirty tricks by these extreme right-wing Republicans. And then they go to Congress and they obstruct legislation that is trying to serve the good of the American people in order to cause a measure of chaos. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about how um, Johnson's uh, beliefs, not just in his uh, Christian faith, but also uh, in uh, the politics of Donald Trump, how he's actually acted on that. Because uh, as folks might know, after the 2020 election, um, Mike Johnson frequently echoed some of the, the conspiracy theories that Donald Trump was advancing uh, to explain his loss. He voted against certifying Joe Biden's win as Congress reconvened after the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. He even filed a brief to the Supreme Court uh, in a lawsuit that sought to overturn the 2020 election. Um, the court threw out that case. But three points there of actual activity um, by Mike Johnson. So 
when he was uh, in the press conference right after he was elected speaker, he was asked a question by ABC's Rachel Scott about those 2020 uh, election overturning attempts. He did not answer Rachel Scott, just shook his head. Uh, But here is uh, you can hear a little bit of what some other members of Congress standing nearby said. Andrew Thompson, you helped lead the efforts to uh, overturn the 2020 So we have members of the GOP caucus there telling reporters to shut up for just asking a question about the 2020 election. And then Mike Johnson declining to even answer. Uh, Philip, what does that tell you? Well, it tells me that Mike Johnson and probably many of his colleagues believe that the election really was stolen. They believe that the failed self-coup attempt on January 6th of 2021 was an expression of legitimate political protest, that it was a tourist visit to the, the U.S. Capitol, and that they're tired of being asked about this. Uh, they want to put that behind them at this point. Um, you know, it does also, I think, point to uh, a couple of deeper issues. One is the connection between um, this Christian nationalist subculture and conspiracy culture. This is a finding um, in a lot of survey research that there's a tremendous uh, overlap, for example, between QAnon and and Christian nationalism, and that uh, that people who um, affirm Christian nationalism strongly are very likely to believe the big lie about the stolen uh, election. So it is, so to speak, to to put it in conspiracy theoretical terms, it's all connected. Mm. Is it a subculture? Is Christian nationalism a subculture any longer? Because it was just a few years ago that uh, I think it would have been challenging to find an openly avowed Christian nationalist um, in any GOP leadership position. But here we have Mike Johnson as House Speaker. Not that he's openly embracing Christian nationalism, but you two are laying out an argument that says his beliefs and behaviors would equate to as such. I think um, secular progressives and left-leaning observers just didn't see it. It has been, it's one of the most powerful currents within our contemporary politics. It's been one of the most powerful currents in American politics for centuries, but it operated under the surface and out of view. You saw the Periscope uh, submarine-like pop up on January 6th, and now you've got the entire uh, the entire submarine has has breached the surface and become visible uh, and impossible to ignore. But it was always there, and I'm sure um, Anne will confirm that. Someone who's been studying these uh, hidden networks and dark money for a very long time. Mm. Anne, go ahead. Yeah. Um, what I can say is that the language was was the norm in Oklahoma when I was growing up in the sixties and seventies. It was just it was just the culture that has been very slow to change. It has been changing, but it's just you know we all pledged allegiance to the flag, one nation under God. That was that was our world. And for me, what changed was when the money got behind it and weaponized it. Uh, and and you cannot leave out the fossil fuel industries. You just cannot. It's not a coincidence that Mike Johnson got a 2% rating from the Sierra Club for his voting record. It's not a coincidence that 
uh, the various organizations that seek to roll back taxes, corporate taxes, et cetera, um, and foundations like the Bradley Foundation in Milwaukee are, have gotten behind these initiatives and, and really pushed them. So, you know, you have a whole constellation of anti-democratic measures. Um, for example, CNP member Cleta Mitchell has gone around the country trying to undermine elections. She was on the Raffensperger call with Trump as, as one of Trump's lawyers, uh, funded by the Bradley Foundation. So uh, a lot of the people who are driving the financing and the strategies of these measures have very slender connections to anything religious. Uh, I, I, I often say that they appear to worship mammon over anything else. Mm. Mm. So as we wrap up here, we've just got about uh, 30 seconds left. And Philip Gorski, I'm going to offer you this last question. Um, can you find any reason to believe Johnson when he says now that a house, as, as House Speaker, uh, his belief that the United States should be a Christian nation won't inform how he runs the House? Gosh. You would have to mark me very skeptical. He said, even in one of the clips that you played, that his Christian faith and is that one should be able to bring one's Christian faith openly and explicitly into the public square. Why would we doubt his own uh, public statements? Well, Philip Gorski is co-author of The Flag and the Cross, White Christian Nationalism and the Threat to American Democracy. He's also a professor at Yale University. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Ann Nelson, research scholar at Columbia's School of International and Public Affairs, author of Shadow Network, Media, Money, and the Secret Hub of the Radical Right. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.